Hello, my name is Meg. Welcome to the Unedited Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. The goal of this podcast is to help you both develop and enjoy the habit of daily Bible reading and prayer. About 20 years ago, at a very low spot in my life, I was convicted to begin this simple discipline, and I looked up years down the road to see how God had used this habit to heal deep places in my heart and do incredible things in my life. So over the years, it's really become my greatest passion to help others get to know Jesus through His Word and through His presence. Through this podcast, I'm hoping to help you see the Word of God with fresh eyes, to learn to slow down with your Bible, and ultimately to fall in love with your Bible. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so grateful to have you here. Today, I have the incredible privilege of interviewing Reagan Matheson. Um, I have known Reagan since he was very young. My actually earliest memory of seeing Reagan was when he was about two years old at camp. And then fast forward until he was about 13, he was in the youth group that uh, my husband and I had the privilege to lead for a few years. And then after about five and a half years, we felt God transitioning us out of that. And Reagan uh, led a team and took over, and he is now the full-time student pastor at my church, at the church that we attend, and we are both privileged to work here. He's the full-time student pastor, and um, he has such a passion for the next generation. He has a passion for the Word of God, and it's been just an incredible privilege to watch him grow over the years, really to have a front row seat to his life, and I'm up there on his fan list, and just, again, so glad to have him here today. Um, recently Reagan published a Bible study for students. It's eight lessons. It's called it's real life. And I would encourage you to go check it out. It's available on Amazon. It's $10 and it is fabulous. It's a great, um, resource for students to teach the word of God to their classmates, to their friends. Um, and it's a great, just overview of the Bible. It, it, each lesson is a question and, um, so I'm going to stop talking and let Reagan start talking. Reagan, thank you so much for being here today. Yes, thank you so much. And uh, it's certainly an honor and privilege to to be on the unedited podcast. And uh, before Megan says anything else, I just want to say that you're tuned into the right podcast because the host of this podcast is an amazing woman of God, truly. And more than that, she's an incredible Christian. And uh, just just wanted to throw that out there, that she's an amazing lady. And I'm very thankful for her in my life, in our church, and her testimony. So thank you so much. It's, it's an honor to be on, on the podcast today. Well, thank you for that. I wasn't expecting that, but thank you. That's very kind of you. <laughs> um, can you just start by sharing a little bit of your story uh, your testimony with the unedited listeners. Absolutely. Uh, so first of all, um, once again, my name is Reagan. I am 29 years old. And uh, as Meg already mentioned, I currently serve as the youth pastor here at Christian Life Church under Pastor Joe Hanthorn, who is uh, an amazing pastor, amazing man of God, who, of course, Meg and I both have had the benefit of serving under and uh, give a, I believe he's been on the podcast already. Is, is that right? Yep. He's been on. Okay. Yeah. So he, you guys already have heard his incredible story and uh, just an amazing man of God. But 
So I have the privilege to serve here, and uh, I am married to an amazing, amazing, beautiful, sweet, godly lady named Naomi Matheson, and uh, I'm so thankful for her, and she's just incredible. Uh, anything good that I say was probably from her, and anything bad I say was probably from me, so uh, just take it or leave it. <laughs> so very thankful for her, um, but a little bit about my story, and uh, we'll, we'll make a long story short, but... Um, I was very blessed um, early in life to be raised in the church, um, in the church, in an apostolic Pentecostal church. And uh, up until I was about 12 years old, had always known who God was, had a, you know, somewhat uh, of a relationship with him at that age, loved God, loved being at church. Uh, I'm a musician and uh, played played the drums since I was three years old. So I was always very involved in ministry, in music ministry. So I was highly involved in church and just so thankful for those early years. Um, when I was about 11 or 12 years old, the enemy really attacked my family and really just threw my life and, and my family into a challenging, very challenging season. And I found myself uh, really alone during that season, um, really lacked some accountability in my life, didn't have um, a perfect structure, if you will. And I just once again want to reiterate, I have absolutely amazing parents who are still living for God to this day. I'm so thankful for. Um, but that season of life was a struggle. It was a challenge. There were some very lonely nights. Um, doubts crept into my mind and, and, and all kinds of stuff going on. And I remember one specific night that uh, family had a very difficult time that night and I had gone to my cousin's house and I remember I was laying on a couch uh, in a in a home that was not my family's. I didn't necessarily belong there, if you will. And I was alone. I was sad. And I found myself crying on that couch and it was probably 2 a.m. And I remember in that moment, I was probably 15 years old. I remember God speaking to me very clearly in that moment. He told me two things. He said, first of all, you're not alone. I love you. I'm with you. And I have an incredible plan for your life. And then he challenged me. He said, if you'll continue to live for me, if you'll continue to continue to serve me, I'll use all of this mm -hmm. for good. And I'll, I'll produce a ministry in your life. And I'll, 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 I'll do incredible th things in you if you'll continue to live for me. And I remember in that moment thinking of Joseph, mm. of course, in Genesis 50, 20, when the Bible, or when he says what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And I remember just thinking about how God was somehow going to take all of this brokenness, all this pain as a 15 year old young man and thinking, oh God, how are you going to use this? And now, of course, today I'm 29 years old and I don't, I'm not trying to hype myself up or anything like that, but I'm very thankful for what God has done in my life. And if there's any anything good that has come out of my ministry or my life, it's not because of my giftings or my abilities. It's because of the grace of God that reached for me in that moment and continued to reach for me uh, throughout my throughout my life. When I turned after after that, I you know continued to go to church. I was was very involved at, at Christian Life Church under Pastor Hanthorn. He put his fingerprints on my life. And mm -hmm. as Meg already mentioned, I had some amazing youth pastors <laughs> in Andrew and Megan. Megan, Andrew, obviously her husband. And uh, so, so, so thankful for them. They were there for me and my sister 
in ways that uh, nobody else was there for us. They loved us. They gave us rides to church frequently, cared for us, loved us, anything we needed. I don't, my sister basically lived with you guys for a long time and, and just incredible, incredible Christians and people I'm so thankful for. But uh, after that, I, I went to college for, for two years and decided that college wasn't for me. And I got a job in the banking industry and quickly rose the ranks. Uh, within two years, I believe I had five promotions and was in the top 3% of the company, a nationwide bank uh, for banking. And uh, God just gave me favor. And truly, it, it wasn't because I'm super talented or anything. God just really blessed me. And at that point, I think I was about 24, 25 years old. Um, at that point, I had another bank reach out to me and uh, offered me basically a, a six-figure, very large salary to come work for them. And at that time, I was uh, married for maybe six to nine months at that time. And so I was obviously very, very excited about that opportunity. And so I go to my pastor and begin talking to him about it. And he said, well, why don't you hold your horses a little bit? Because I think God has other plans for your life. And that's when Pastor Hanthorn graciously somehow saw, saw something in me. I don't know what he still sees, but saw something in me. And 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 uh, he he allowed me to come on staff here at the church. And uh, that was just an incredible moment that I did not see coming. But once again, it's the grace of God just opening doors um, that, that I certainly don't deserve, but I'm so thankful for. And today, I'm so thankful to say that, you know, of course, me and my wife are living for God, but my sister is the music director here at our church. My parents are living for God. They're faithful attenders of our church. And God has just taken he, he fulfilled his promise when he spoke to me on that couch when I was 15 years old and said, somehow I'm going to turn this off for good. And he fulfilled that promise. And I'm so thankful for all that he's done in my life and in my family. What an incredible testimony. And I've never heard you share that what you shared about on the couch that night, how God told you you're not alone. He had an incredible plan for your life. And if you would continue to serve him, he would use all of that. For his glory. What an incredible yeah. moment. What an incredible promise to hold on to. Um, that, yes. that really brings tears to my eyes. I have one moment from your life that is, I will never forget. It was at youth camp. Um, I don't even know what year it would have been, maybe 2009, 2010, right around in there. And I remember you weeping. And I remember after you were done praying, you said, God called me to preach tonight. And what an incredible moment. I will never forget that moment. And it's been such a gift to just have a little window into your world and into some of the things God has done. Um, let's talk a little bit about It's Real Life. I'm super excited about this project. I know that you have poured hours and hours and a lot of passion, a lot of effort into this. And um, just share a little bit of the format, a little bit of your heart behind it, your heart to help students teach the word of God. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, um, regarding this Bible study, I just have to give credit where credit is due in that so much of this Bible study is not original to me. 
Um, so much of it is uh, the fingerprints and the influence of so many amazing teachers and preachers and pastors in our movement. First of all, my pastor, uh, Joe Hanthorne, of course, had so much of this Bible study are things that he's taught me. And so I just stole them from him and put them in a book. And so I, of course, want to give him credit for that. Also, there's some teaching in here from people like Raymond Woodward and David, Dr. David Bernard, um, both just amazing teachers. So first of all, I just want to give them just so much credit for all of this because most most of this is not original thought. It's, it's from people that have taught me and put fingerprints on my life. So I give them credit. Um, but, you know, you some people might ask, well, why did you write this Bible study? I think, first of all, um, I have a deep, deep, deep passion um, for getting students connected to the Word of God and to personal devotion. And uh, this this initiative was not something for me to make money. It wasn't something for me to, um, you know, even sell it. I, I when I originally had this this burden, I felt God, um, you know, impress upon me to do this. It wasn't even supposed to be available for any other churches necessarily. It was for our local church. And it was born, um, uh, this Bible study, first of all, is a eight-lesson Bible study. And it, as, as Meg mentioned, it surrounds eight big questions. And um, the reason that I, I surrounded these lessons around questions is because I had a really cool encounter with a young man in our church whose mom came to me and uh, a little bit of a language barrier in this situation. But this this mom came to me and she's the sweetest lady. And she said, I want you to teach my son a Bible study. And I was like, well, uh, typically that's not something I do if the student doesn't desire it, because we're probably just wasting time. Uh, <laughs> the student has no interest in learning about the word and no hunger for it. You know, I'm not sure how much fruit is going to come from this, but you know what? I, I'll give it a shot. I figured I'd, I'd, I'd give it a chance and uh, met with this young man. And literally all I did for five or six weeks was get on a 10 minute FaceTime call with him. And this young man is a very quiet, very, um, just, just, just quiet to himself. He loves video games. Um, just, just an awesome young man, but just not a big talker, if you will. He doesn't. He's not going to express himself a ton. And I begin to to ask him questions, um, and ask him questions to really provoke something in him to start wrestling with questions that right now, to be honest. Generation Z is simply refusing to answer. Um, there's a book, I forget what the book is called, but there's a chapter in, in a book I've read a few years ago called The Rise of the Nuns. And it's there's there's I wish I had the statistics right now. I probably should have looked them up, but there's incredible statistics showing not necessarily that the next generation or the last few generations are getting more atheistic or anti-Bible or anti-God, but rather they're simply becoming more agnostic and refusing to even approach these questions. Is God real? Or is the Bible true? Or, you know, whatever. And and so as that has come, what I've tried to do with students is ask them these questions so they're forced to wrestle with them. And so I, I just started getting on these calls and say, hey, bro, what happens if the Bible's true? 
What's going to happen? What happens if if God is real? How do we know if the Bible's true? How do we know uh, what's going to happen when it, the the end of the world or whatever you want to call it happens? What what's going to happen? And it just it, it stirred something in his spirit. And long story short, he ended up getting baptized, got the Holy Ghost. He's living for God. He's been in our youth group for. Uh, I mean, I don't want to embellish, but maybe two or three years now and just a faithful young man. He's doing great living for God uh, and really had no interest. But when I started asking him some of these hard questions, it forced him to wrestle with them. So long story long, uh, this Bible study was really (laughs) so much of it was born. (laughs) So much of it was born out of that, that um, let's 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 have the boldness to ask and answer questions that young people need to ask and answer and so for example the first question of this bible study is how do we know the bible's true and it focuses on the infallibility and the power of the word of god and why it's necessary to read it students don't know why they should read their bible they don't understand that it's going to be our judge in the last day right they don't understand the significance that we walk that we need the bread of life in our lives every single day and so um, so that that was kind of the why it, it, it's a needed resource for our local youth group. And long story short, I end up talking a little bit about it to uh, the Wisconsin District United Pentecostal Church Youth Department. And uh, they ended up wanting to use it for their big convention or what would be called Winter Youth Convention or Holiday Youth Convention, if you're familiar with our organization. And uh, it's, it's a it's a conference of about a thousand young people age 12 to 25 ish and uh, ended up buying a bunch of them wanting to use the resource. And now it's, of course, available on Amazon. And we've had a lot of youth pastors and other leaders in our organization reach out and, and desire it. But that's the why it was really for our local church. And uh, the way it's set up, just to be very practical for a moment, the way it's set up is the booklet itself is for the student. It is a fill-in-the-blank style Bible study, and uh, there are some charts in it. There's obviously some graphics, um, fill-in-the-blanks. And then at the end of the booklet, there is a QR code with a teacher's guide available that has a ton of great um, illustrations. Of course, it has the answers, but it has a ton of great um, information, illustrations, tips, tricks, pointers on how you should teach a Bible study, how to get a Bible study. And so, uh, yeah, that's a little bit about it. Um, Yeah, Uh, I, I will say this. Let me add this to it. I think another reason that this Bible study was was born or why, why, why I wrote it was because here at our local church, we believe very, very strongly in the great commission to make disciples by teaching them. And that's something that we don't just meet at a coffee shop one time and teach them a Bible study about the plan of salvation or talk to them about a topic. This is our church, we believe strongly in one-on-one personal extended Bible studies mm-hmm. where you sit across the table or the couch or the classroom from somebody and you show them the word of God, how they can read it, how they can how they can understand it. You give them uh, uh, an overview of this amazing life-altering book. Mm-hmm. and And so one of the things that we wanted to do was not only teach our students these Bible studies, but challenge our students to teach these Bible studies. 
And and up until this point, the only Bible study resource we really had available was about an 18-week Bible study. And let me tell you this. First of all, I'm not one to say our students can't handle things like that. I believe our students are a whole lot smarter and a whole lot more disciplined than we give them credit for. But it's hard enough for me to meet with an adult for 18 consecutive weeks, much less for a student to meet with another student for 18 consecutive weeks. So we we broke it down to a, oh, I don't know, 17, 18-week Bible study down to an eight-week Bible study for that practical reason that we want to, yes, we want to teach them, but we also want to resource and equip our students so that they can share this incredible message with their friends. And so that's that's another compelling reason that I wrote this. I love all of that. And we do. I think that's, um, you know, our church has two heavy focuses. I feel one discipling people to conversion and then discipling people from conversion. Like Pastor said so many times that we have a heavy emphasis on teaching Bible studies and on discipling people once they're saved and also on teaching people how to read and pray and how to establish daily disciplines in your life. So it's kind of like this complete package, which I just absolutely love. Can you just um, tell us the titles of each lesson? Yeah, absolutely. So lesson one is, uh, how do I know the Bible's true? I mentioned that already. Uh, Lesson two is focused on why evil exists in our world today and how we got here. So of course, it's talking about the creation uh, account, the creation text, and also uh, answering some of those questions. That's a big question that students have is why, if God is love, we know God is love, but why does he allow suffering in our world? Why does he allow abuse in our world? Why is there evil? Why does that exist? And, you know, it's funny that we're talking about that. I, I just last night had a Bible study with five, was it five, four young adults that have no, well, three of them have no um, or very minimal religious background, and they are very broken in need of God, and they asked that question last night, and I had an entirely different Bible study prepared, but the Lord just shifted it on us, and there wasn't a dry eye in the room when we got done, and one of them almost got the Holy Ghost last night, or received the gift of the Holy Ghost, so it was was an amazing thing, but... um, Anyways, uh, so awesome. lesson two is answering some of those challenging questions. How do, why is there even the world, and, and how did we get here? The third lesson is, how can I read my Bible and it actually makes sense? Um, so many students, but I think people in general, have a hard time really opening their Bible and understanding mm-hmm. what's going on, the yeah. context, understanding that the Bible is not you know, 66 isolated stories, you know, it's not these random, you know, texts that some random person wrote. No, no, no. This is one story of redemption that all fits together and applies to our life in a beautiful way. And so that Bible, that lesson is focused on teaching students how their Bible works how they can read it. And when they open Malachi, what does he have to do with my life? And when they open Matthew, when they open Acts, when they open whatever, what what's going on? You know, and, and so that's a very, very important lesson um, that we've included in the Bible study. 
the fourth the fourth lesson is who is Jesus and why do I need him? Uh, that lesson focuses on the person of Jesus, that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh, mm-hmm. that Jesus is our savior and that Jesus is our friend. It emphasizes who he is and why we need a savior in our life. You know, so many young people don't understand. I, once again, so many people in general don't understand why we need him, that we are born with a sickness or a disease called sin and we need we need a cure and this bible study teaches us of our sin that we are in desperate need of the blood of jesus to wash away all of that sin in our lives so that's lesson four lesson five is what do i need to do to be saved it focuses on the plan of salvation and the 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 um the relationship between the grace of God and our response to that grace and the in in faith and and taking those steps to be saved. Uh, lesson six talks about what's next after I'm saved. So many times we we have these salvation experiences where someone repents or is baptized in Jesus' name or is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they don't know what to do next. They have this new believer excitement or zeal, and they're ready to take on the world. And then they're like, okay, well, what do I do now? And so that lesson focuses on the journey of sanctification or holiness and purity and living a life, not for yourself, but in honor of the Lord, right? So uh, that's lesson, lesson six. Lesson seven is how can I pray and actually connect with God? Uh, of course, this podcast is all about prayer and Bible reading. And one of the things that I wanted to include in this Bible study is the importance of a genuine prayer life, a lifestyle of connection with God, daily, consistent, genuine connection with God. So this teaches students, it teaches them that God isn't just looking for bedtime prayers, Mm -hmm. but God is looking for something deeper than that. God is looking for a consistent, genuine connection with him. And it it breaks down the model prayer and how we should approach God in prayer. So there's some important practical tips about prayer in lesson seven. And then lesson eight is, will the world really end and what will that look like? And it talks about some of the end time signs of what's going to be going on in our culture and what the spirit of the age will be. And and it also gets into what heaven will look like and what hell will look like. You know, for people that put so much hope in heaven, I find it surprising how little we know about it. Mm. And I I think it's cool sometimes to take a step back and just show students this is this is our ultimate hope right here. Yeah. That heaven is going to be a place where there's no tears, there's no shame, there's no sorrow, where we're going to walk on streets of gold and and it gets very practical um in what heaven will look like and what we will do there. And as well as what hell will be like. That hell is not necessarily God tormenting us, but it's our absence from God. It's eternity without any hope at all. Eternity with nothing to look up to. And uh, so just some, some, some teaching about that. So that's all the lessons right there. That's amazing. I love how you said, you know, one of the goals of it is to teach people how their Bible study works or how their Bible works. And I think that that is a, 
huge, huge, huge blessing of being a Bible study teacher and of going through a Bible study, like and exploring God's word or in its real life, because it gives you, I always say, it gives you like the skeleton of the Bible and all the other pieces and all the other stories fit on this skeletal system. And it really does help just having that um, comprehensive theology of the Bible, understanding how yes. all the pieces and the players yes. work together, how it's all one story, like you said. And so thank you for all the time you've invested. I'm excited about this Bible study. I'm excited to teach it. I'm just wrapping up and exploring God's lesson with my friend or Bible study with my friend, Denise. And um, I asked her if she would like to stay on and go through its real life. I haven't taught it yet. And so she is going to be uh, my first time through its real life. I'm really, really excited. Awesome. So Thank you again for pouring yourself into this, um, this aspect of connecting this next generation with the word of God and for helping other people um, understand and share the Bible. And I want to just talk a little Absolutely. bit about um, students. Uh, obviously, that's your heartbeat. I love student ministries. I am so passionate about young people. Um, I believe so much of what God does through student ministries in local churches is help preserve the next generation, help train them. Yeah. Um, I, I love, absolutely love CG Youth and what you guys are doing, um, have an amazing youth group. What would you say are a few keys um, to really connecting the next generation with the Word of God, with the Bible, and with daily devotion? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So one of our core values in CG Youth is, uh, or one of our, I would say, ministry philosophies is that we are not trying to build a youth group. Um, and that may sound weird, um, but it's very important that we don't seek to build a youth group, but we are trying to build young individual disciples. Mm. Because if we try to build a youth group, we're creating hype and exciting environments for them to come. But the problem with that is that is not a sustainable way to live for God. Mm -hmm. And as soon as the hype and the excitement of a youth group leaves and you graduate, chances are your faith is going to fall flat on its face. So we're not trying to build a youth group. We're trying to build healthy youth. Mm -hmm. And um, with that being said, that's why our church is so passionate about or our youth group is so passionate about personal Bible studies and teaching its real life, teaching and exploring God's word is because we understand the significance of, of doing that. And here's one thing that I've I've learned in teaching some of those Bible studies. And this is this is what I believe is so important to connecting the next generation to the word of God or to spiritual disciplines is we have to know what students are asking. We have to know the questions that students are asking, and we have to have the boldness to have biblical answers for them. Mm. And when you sit down, see, if I'm just trying to build a youth group, then I don't sit down one-on-one with every student and ask them, what they're going through and what their faith, what questions they have in their faith. But when we're building young individuals, it creates opportunities where you're sitting with them at a coffee shop or in the church office or in their living room. And you say, bro, what questions do you have about the Bible? And you begin to hear some of these questions. I've heard it said before that the church becomes irrelevant when we stop answering questions that culture has. And we have to have the boldness to figure out the questions that students are asking 
and answer those questions. Um, I think too many times in the church, there are certain hot topics that we like to talk about. We talk about the flow of the Holy Spirit. We talk about deep things, uh, you know, and I'm being silly a little bit here, but the the nine dimensions of the prophetic and all these great deep mysteries of God and the word of God. And I love all that stuff. I think it's great. But I think sometimes we answer questions that people aren't asking. And if we want the next generation to be connected to the word of God, we have to see, okay, where are they right now? What questions are they asking and what are they going through? And what does the word of God have to say about it? Because let me promise you this, the word of God has answers. Yeah. answer to every single cultural hot topic. The word of God has the answer to every single life crisis that our young people are facing. The Bible, the Bible has all the answers. Let me just tell you, the Bible has all of the answers about mental health. The Bible has all of the answers about LGBTQ. The Bible has all the answers about social media. It may not say it verbatim, but the principles in the word of God are what need to guide and direct our students. And if we're not willing to sit down with them and figure out where they are and the questions they're asking and then ourselves digging into it, studying it, learning it, and, and not just saying, Oh, they need to get off of social media and they need to delete the app. That's why there's no, no, no. We need to have biblical, legitimate answers for the 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 challenges and the 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 cultural issues that they are facing today. If we're ever going to be effective in connecting this generation to the word of God, we have to be willing to hear the questions they're asking and not dismiss them, but answer them in real ways. Um, so you know, I on a, on a very practical level too, how do we connect our, our students to the word of God? First of all, we talk about the questions they're asking. We talk about cultural issues. We, we show them the truth of the word of God. Um, but also we need very attainable on ramps for our students to get connected to their Bible and to prayer. Mm-hmm. We need attainable on ramps. We need things. Uh, our church is, uh, very, very um, invested in things like journals. Uh, as a matter of fact, this Sunday at the beginning of the new year, we're starting a 21 day journal and our youth group is challenged to go through that 21 day journal, not because that journal necessarily is going to change their life, but because it's an on-ramp to yeah. them starting to wake up at 6 a.m. like they don't normally do and starting to open their Bible that hasn't been opened in six months and and finding that 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 verse and that book that takes them uh, seven minutes to find because they haven't opened their Bible. I'm being silly, of course, but uh, we got to provide attainable on-ramps. We've done some um, some cool initiatives in our youth group. Uh, one was called eight by eight by eight. And we, we, for eight consecutive days, we spent eight days in eight minutes of prayer, eight minutes of the word and eight minutes of worship. And our entire youth group did it together. And that's an attainable, realistic on-ramp for young people to get connected to the Bible, connected to prayer and see that they can actually do this. So I would say, first of all, we've got to be willing to ask where our students are and answer those hard questions. And second of all, we have to be practical. We have to we have to provide realistic on-ramps for our students to be engaged in their spiritual disciplines. I love all of that. Um, 
you know, there's so many things I could comment, but I love how you, you just talked about attainable, attainable steps for them. And that is one of my great passions. I think so many times people view Bible reading and prayer as this Christian duty, something they have to do. And it has to look like this. It has to sound a certain way. It has to be an hour. And I really encourage people often start with one verse, start with five yes. minutes, Start small. And the principle of habit formation and and research about forming habits backs that up, that if you start small and you are consistent with it, it will grow. And the thing about Bible reading and prayer is it starts off as a discipline, but it grows to become the best part of your life. And so I love that you are um, providing those, again, on-ramps or kind of training wheels um, to the habit of Bible reading and prayer, those journals and just other things that you've done over the years to help. I love that the theme for the youth group is read, pray, fast, gather, you know, like that's your, that's your um, motto. And, and that's so amazing. Um, You know, I'll just, I'll just add one thing to that, if that's all right, when it comes to practical, attainable things, I think sometimes we, we, we make living for God and these spiritual disciplines more mysterious or spiritual if you will, than they really need to be. And we talk about all these dimensions of prayer and all these gold nuggets that we need to search out and find in the word of God. And I think there's value to some of those things. But uh, last night, for example, in our youth group, we were talking about going deeper with God. And we talk a lot in the Apostolic Church about that concept of going deeper. And that sounds very spiritual, But what does that really mean to go deeper? And I challenged our students to think to themselves, okay, this is what going deeper is. For the last 30 days, how many times did you pray? Did you pray 10 times? Did you pray 20 times? Did you pray one time? Going deeper is taking that number and doing a couple more days next month. Mm -hmm. That's what going deeper with God looks like. And yes. I know that's very practical and I may get shamed for some of that because it's so practical. You should say, oh, you should be praying 30 days. Well, yes, we should be praying 30 days, but that's reality. And that's where students are. And that's the fight of our flesh every morning when we wake mm-hmm. up. And, uh, you know, I just just wanted to add that sometimes we over spiritualize or create these deep mysteries about um, spiritual growth. And I think sometimes it's a little bit more practical than we make it out to be. I agree with you on that. It, as so much of it, it is practical. It is just doing the things that sound so bread and butter and doing it more than you used to do it, growing in it. Um, right. And right. and it is one of those things where you look up years down the road and you see the effects of that discipline. You see yes. the effects of those little incremental increases over the years. Um, have you found or like discovered ways to stir up hunger for the word of God in students and in this generation? Yeah, I think, um, and I mean, I have a great answer to this question, but first of all, I think um, what I talked about before in why I wrote this Bible study is so important in asking the hard questions. I think, you know, of course, of course, the Bible tells us we work out our salvation with, with, with fear and trembling, right? We're supposed to wrestle with this. And so many students aren't wrestling with it. They have surrendered it. They have just given up. And they say things like, if God loves me, he'll, or if God is real, he'll love me. If he's not, oh, well. And that's just not the truth. And so somehow we have to get on their level and ask them hard questions and really almost force them to consider those questions and, and wrestle with their faith. 
um, because they're not going to, they can't go deeper with God on the coattails of their parents. They can't, there's not, they've got to wrestle with this. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing that I've really tried to show them is that absent a life of faith, there is no purpose or fulfillment in this life. Mm-hmm. And tried to, we have to show our students the truth of that. That's why suicide in our world right now is so prevalent. It's 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 because the further we drift away from God, mm-hmm. the more hopeless we become. And I read a statistic a while back that said that the what would consider the the richest people, um, the 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 higher end people uh, in terms of finance or money, the more successful people in the world actually have a higher suicide rate than those beneath them. Why is that? It's because they've achieved what this world has said is success and they're still empty Mm, and they're still hopeless. And we have to communicate to the students, look, you're to everybody, really, that you will never find fulfillment in this life and certainly not the next one apart from Jesus. Of course, Jesus said in John 15 that apart from me, you can do nothing. That doesn't mean you literally can do nothing. You can still make money. You can still be a success in your career, but what he's saying is nothing that you do will have eternal value or any value really, because at the end of the day, this is all going to burn up. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that matters is our relationship with Jesus. So I think showing them, illustrating to them consistently and repeatedly that the reason depression is on the rise is because the lack of Jesus. The reason that anxiety is on the rise is because of lack of prayer and the word of God in our lives. Um, You know, I I posted a reel the other day about this, but, you know, the question, why does evil exist in our world? I I like to respond to that with a question of my own, and that is, is darkness a thing? And whenever I ask a student that, they really wrestle with that question. Well, yeah, no, what, you know, they try to figure it out. And the reality is you can't walk into a room and turn on darkness. You can walk into a room and turn off the light and and darkness is not a thing in and of itself. It's the absence of a thing. And that's why evil exists in our world. Evil in and of itself is not necessarily a thing. It's the absence of God in our world. And the further that we drift away from God, the darker and the darker our world gets. And 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 illustrating that, that that if we walk away from Jesus, the darker and the darker and the more hopeless and 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 we lack purpose and affirmation in this life because he's the ultimate reason that we exist for his glory and relationship with him. That's so good. And just like you said, constantly showing them and illustrating to them that yes. it's the lack of Jesus leads to lack of purpose, which leads to everything we're seeing with the suicide pandemic and mental health statistics and depression rates. And it is heartbreaking. I have wept over statistics as it relates to mental health with students, um, you know, with that younger generation, but just in general, I have, I've wept over news of celebrity suicides. It's just heartbreaking to me that people are so broken and have, um, no, no place to go, no place to turn. They have nothing outside of themselves, nothing outside of this lifetime to live for. Um, do you have anything, you know, just kind of to share about the mental health crisis that our students are, you know, living in? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think um, mental health obviously is probably the the most hot topic in our culture right now. Well, maybe one of them, certainly. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I think, first of all, if we're going to help our students with this, this comes back to my initial point. And when I said that we we have to be willing to answer hard questions. Mm -hmm. And when I began to study about the mind or mental health in the word of God, I was astonished at the amount that the Bible talks about the mind Mm -hmm. and the answers that God has in the word for mental health. And we have to be willing to take this, this conversation to our students. I think one thing I'll say, and I'll, I'll make a, a long story short here, but one thing I will say, if you're a parent on this podcast um, and you have a teen that comes to you and says, I'm depressed or I'm anxious, there's a good chance that they shouldn't feel that way. And as a parent, a lot of times we want to dismiss it that way. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, shut up. Go, go to your room. You, give me a break. You have, you have a roof on your head. You have clothes on your back. You have food on your table. You have an iPhone. You have, you have all this crazy stuff. You got no reason. You better go, you better go somewhere. Right. <laughs> and we're quick. And, and that's probably true. But just because you're right doesn't mean that their feelings aren't real. Mm-hmm. So we have two options with our students as parents and youth leaders. We can either th- those feelings, they're not true, but they're real. Those thoughts they have, they're not true, but they're real. And we have two options. We either let culture tell them how to process them mm. or we let the word of God show them how to process them. Mm. And that's on parents and leaders to to not to dismiss their children or students as unthankful or ungrateful but to say you know what i'm going to use this as an opportunity to show them the power of the word of god and the bible says of course in romans 12 not to be conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so culture says there's a mind problem there's a mental health problem culture's right but the bible's been saying that for thousands of years and the Bible has the answer, and that is not a self-care day. It's not uh, to get a hobby. It's not necessarily to go to counseling, and I'm not against counseling. Um, it's not to go take a walk or take a deep breath. I think those things can have value. But the real ultimate root of the problem, the answer is mind renewal. Mm-hmm. It's the Word of God renewing our minds. Yes, and Our students need to hear us say, you know what, your feelings, your emotions, they're real, but God has the answer for you. There is hope for that. And and too many times I'm afraid that youth pastors, leaders, or parents are simply dismissing their students' feelings or depression, which I hate that term because most of the time it's just a moment of sadness. It's not really depression. We are so quick to put identities on momentary feelings mm-hmm. that I think is not, is not legit. You know, it's, 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 it's just what our culture does right now. We, 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 we say, Oh, you have a feeling of sadness. So you are depressed. You need medication. You need to go to a doctor. Well, I'm not sure that that's true. It may just be that they're sad for a moment and that's mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> uh, you have a moment of 
of being fearful or anxious about a test or about something that's happening in your life, well, you have anxiety. You need you need a prescription for that. Well, maybe God just is 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 working in your life and is and is and is and has the answer for your situation and is calling you deeper with him. I've heard people say that depression, I don't know that this is true or not, but that depression can be a call to deeper intimacy with God. That anxiety can be a call. It can be a tool that, that pushes us into deeper reliance and dependency on him. And I think that can be true. Now I'm once again, I want to be clear. I'm not against counseling. I'm not against medications. I'm not trying to say that, what this stuff isn't real, but I, I do think our culture is is very quick to to take feelings or thoughts and 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 make them identities. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, that's why I think the the homosexual situation is where it is, is because a person will have a momentary temptation or tendency but the enemy has created an identity for it. Mm-hmm. You know, if I were to ask you if you've ever lied before, most of us would say yes. If you say no, then now you've lied because we've all <laughs> lied, right? But you don't then, because you've lied in your life, you don't identify as a liar. Mm-hmm. Because you've stolen a piece of gum when you were 14 years old from your local convenience store, you don't go around identifying as a thief. Mm-hmm. But because you have a same-sex attraction, now the enemy has convinced you that that is your identity. Mm-hmm. That is who you are. And we have to teach our students. I know I'm on a bit of a tangent here, so forgive me. You're good. But we have to teach our students through temptations and thoughts and emotions and feelings that the word of God is our filter through those things very quickly. Um, there's, there's a, there's a principle in that in Romans 12, that says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Well, what's the pattern of this world? And I like to think about it in three different things here. There's, there's the heart, there's the mind, and there's the will that really makes up our soul, who we are as a person, our heart, which would be our emotions and feelings, our mind, which would be our thoughts and attitudes and our will which would be our convictions and our identity and what we do. And the pattern of this world is to allow your heart and your mind to dictate your will, to allow your emotions, your feelings, your thoughts, and your attitudes to dictate your identity and your convictions. Mm -hmm. So therefore, if I've ever had a doubt about God, that must be what I really believe. If I've ever had a same-sex attraction, that must be who I am. Mm-hmm. If I've ever had a moment where I felt like I was alone, I must be alone. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's allowing those feelings and those attitudes to determine who you are. So what's what's God's renewal pattern then? God's renewal pattern is to take your will, your convictions found in the Word of God, and your identity, who God says you are, and allow it to filter through. And identify what is true or false about your thoughts and your feelings. Just because your thoughts are real does not mean they are true. Right. Just because your feelings are real does not mean that's who you are. Just because your doubts exist does not mean that's 
what your conviction or what you truly believe. Uh, we've got to teach our students how to filter through some of this stuff rather than just dismissing them as ungrateful or, you know, a result or a or a symptom of our messed up culture. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Instead of taking the emotion and allowing it to become the identity, taking the identity and the truth of God's word and allowing that, using that to filter emotions and thoughts. And that is so key. And I've heard people say before, you know, if there was, if David was in our generation, we would never have had the Psalms. Somebody would have medicated him. Somebody would have, you know, he wouldn't have learned how to run to God with all of those emotions. And it is so true that dark feelings and dark places, dark seasons in our lives, if we allow them really can become the birthplace of intimacy with God. And so teaching our students Yes, you may feel this way, but this can be a doorway into the presence of God and your relationship with God will grow and deepen as you seek him through this dark time. Again, not not uh, dismissing how they feel because those feelings are so, you know, they feel so real. Um, So thank you just for sharing all that. I love that. And just like teaching students again, how to process through the word of God, using the word of God as a filter, kind of coming off that question. You are the one who introduced me to the power of four, which is such incredible research. Um, There is an organization called the Center for Bible Engagement. They've done research with 400,000 people around the world. Huge, huge, huge sample and um, they've they've found some amazing things. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, before I do, I think one thing we have to understand is that all of us, including our students especially, are programmed to desire immediate results. Mm-hmm. And we, if, if Instagram doesn't load in 0.4 seconds, we're throwing our phone. No, I'm teasing. But <laughs> if if Instagram Prime or Instagram Prime, Amazon Prime doesn't ship our our book the next day, we're we're writing a letter to Jeff Bezos. Whatever. We're programmed for instant gratification, instant results. And yeah. that's not how God works. Mm-hmm. One of the key elements to a real, genuine walk with God involves time. Yeah. It takes time and consistency. And one of the amazing things about this research is that it proves that. Mm-hmm. And uh it proves that yes it takes time, but that if you'll put in the time that there's a benefit to it, that there's a literal not just eternal benefit, but there is an earthly temporal benefit to our relationship with God. And um basically the study and Meg, you may know it better than I do. Um, I introduced it to you and you've kind of run with it and and championed it. But uh, basically the study, um, it, it, it looks at those that read their Bible one time a day, two times a day, three times a day, and four times a day. And it begins to analyze what effect it's had on their daily life and their struggles. And... Um, this, the statistics have shown that if you read your Bible, I believe it's just reading your Bible. Is that right? Yeah, they praying? call it Bible engagement. So it can just be even okay. opening your Bible in church. like. Okay, yes. Or audio Bible, reading your Bible. I remember yes. reading that. So, um, so any engagement with your Bible one time a week produces no immediate results. Two times a week, no results. 
three times a week, minimal results. But mm-hmm. then once you see that you engage your Bible four times per week, there are incredible results. For example, for those that engage their Bible at least four times a week, they are 228% more likely to share faith with others. They are 407% more likely to memorize scripture. They are, here's where, here's where it gets incredible. There are 59% less likely to view pornography. Mm. They are 30% less likely to deal with loneliness. 57% less likely to deal with alcoholism. And for teenagers, teenagers aren't 57% less likely to deal with alcohol. They are 80% less likely to deal with alcohol. Uh, People are 68% less likely to have sex outside of marriage. 74% less likely to have a gambling problem. And students, teens, are 82% less likely to smoke if they engage their Bible four times per week. So I just thought, I remember I actually saw this on an Instagram reel. I believe it was maybe three or four years ago. It it was a while Mm -hmm. back. And uh, I remember seeing it and I was just blown away because it's about time that Christians get on board with statistics and tracking real life change uh, in people. And this, you know, Maggie shared it with me yesterday that this sample size is 400,000 people and there aren't many um, statistics or surveys done that involve that many people. And uh, it's just an incredible faith builder in the power of getting all of us into the word of God consistently. I think that's the key consistently, um, not just once a week where you open and read you know, a couple scriptures, but consistent devotion and connection to the word of God has literal life-changing impact. That is such amazing research. And I have been just so grateful you introduced that research to me. Um, I had been working on the book for a few years, at least when you showed me that. And I knew my own personal experience had been that my heart had been healed through the habit of Bible reading and prayer. But this was like researched proof to back up this message that I felt the Lord had given me to share. Yes. And so I have just been so grateful. I have shared the power of four with a lot of people. If you guys haven't looked into it, you can just search the power of four center for Bible engagement on Google. It'll pop up. Um, it's run by doctors and um, PhDs, and they um, have a lot of statistics on there that you could look into. I want to close with one question. Obviously, the unedited podcast is about helping people establish and strengthen the habit of Bible reading and prayer. And how would you say that Bible reading and prayer have been a part of your journey, your story, and how important do you feel that this habit is to your life and your ministry? Yeah, absolutely. Well, First of all, I would just say prayer and Bible reading um, are my life's anchor. Mm. Um, I think there are some people that would be misconceived and say, oh, Reagan, Reagan has his act together. He's doing good. And I can tell you, my life is a mess apart from prayer and Bible reading mm. that it's not because I have it all together. It's not because I have all the answers. It's because of the power of daily, at least attempted daily connection to God and his word 
that he has single-handedly held my life together. He keeps mm-hmm. me grounded. He yeah. reveals things in me that I didn't know were in me. You know, of course, the word of God is our mirror. It shows us the things that are in us that we don't see all the time. But the problem is too many of us are not looking in the mirror. We're looking at our cell phones. Mm. And I'm I'm just as guilty of, of anybody as uh, of doing that. But truly, prayer and Bible reading are my anchor, and they hold me down. They hold me rooted to Him. And, uh, you know, I think, is it important to my life? Absolutely, because it is my anchor. It's it's the oxygen to the breath that I have in my walk with God. And I think if we claim Christianity absent of prayer and Bible reading, we are frauds. Mm. I think if we claim to really be Christians and we're not in daily communion and connection with God, we are fakers. We are frauds. And, you know, I I do want to just add something. I want to be careful because I think some people will hear that and they will feel guilty. And I want to come against that feeling and tell Mm -hmm. you that you don't have to be guilty, that we should never serve God out of guilt or obligation necessarily. We should serve God out of our deep revelation of his love for us. That is the motivating factor that I pray every day. It's not because I feel guilty. You know, I told our students last night, stop killing yourself over stuff Jesus already died for. Mm -hmm. And so many times we feel this weight and this condemnation and this shame. And we hear preachers come and, and we feel guilty because we're not praying enough and we're not reading our Bible enough. Can I just tell you, guilt is not a long-term motivator, but when you really think about the love that he's already displayed for you and for me and his mercy, and just think about the patience, I think so much and it just convicts me so, so much when I think about the patience that God has had with me, that oh, through the years of my sin, through the years of my silly actions and mistakes, and yet God has been so long suffering to me. Mm-hmm. And when I think about that just for a few minutes, I'm getting choked up right now. There's nothing that I want to do more than connect with him and feel that father-son relationship with him and feel that deep love and intimacy that I have with him. So I, I do want to just just say, first of all, that yes, we we should be people of prayer and Bible reading, but the last thing I want you to feel is guilt or shame that you don't pray enough. Let God's love convict you to deeper intimacy with him. Mm-hmm. So my life Prayer and Bible reading are my life's anchor. When it comes to my ministry, prayer and Bible reading are the source. Everything in ministry flows from my devotion with God. My ministry is effective when I prepare my heart, not when I prepare messages. Mm -hmm. I think somebody else said something like that. I know there's a a famous quote about something like that. So don't, don't quote me on that. But my ministry is more effective when I prepare my heart, when I prepare my soil, and when I'm in real relationship with God, rather than when I prepare a sermon or prepare a series or prepare a Bible study, um, those are the best ministry moments. As a matter of fact, just last night, I know I shared earlier that I was in a Bible study with with four young adults that were appear to be in very broken situations. I just met them yesterday. They all worked together at Olive Garden. 
and just was talking to them. And I had a Bible study prepared, but we hardly got to the Bible study because God had other plans. And, mm-hmm. and I was thankful to be able to have a prepared heart where I could begin to sense the Holy Ghost shifting that conversation. And my wife sat next to me and she felt the same thing I did. And as I said before, there wasn't a dry eye in the room, not because I had a special sermon prepared, not because I had a fancy Bible study with great graphics or anything like that. It was because my soil was prepared. My heart was prepared. I had prayed for this Bible study. I had, I had gone into it with, with, with the right motive and the right intention. So when it comes to my ministry, everything that every, every aspect, the only time I'm effective in ministry is when I'm in real devotion with God. I have nothing to offer anybody except for my devotion with him, except for his word and his spirit. And, you know, one thing that I will say, and this is just for me personally, and here's what I think we have to be careful of sometimes when we are both in ministry and, or when we are in ministry, and that is that for me, my devotion can never become solely for my ministry. Yes. Yes. And for me personally, I'm an ambitious person and I want to be an effective minister. So I have to keep that in check. And there are times when I find myself praying and the only thing I'm praying about is my ministry. And that's not okay. There are times when I'm in the word and the only thing I can think about is how can I use that in a message? And that's not devotion. I I would argue in a sense that that is not devotion, but that is manipulation, that Mm -hmm. that is taking a relationship that God desires with you and using it for the benefit of your ministry that, and I share that with you because that's, that's a personal thing for me. And I think maybe there's somebody else on this podcast that may struggle with that. Can I tell you, there are times in our prayer life and in the word where he just needs to be our father. Yeah. There are times in our prayer life and in the word where his word just needs to speak to where you are, mm-hmm. that there are times where he just needs to be my friend where I just need to sit in his presence, where it's not about the ministry. It's not about, it's about God ministering to me. It's about his, his love as my father in that genuine, deep love that he has for me, despite my mistakes and just resting in that. So I would just encourage you. There's so much talk about fasting and and praying and going after the deep things of God And sometimes it can appear that it's for ministry. And I just want to encourage you, do it for relationship. Yes, there are times we need direction for God. We we, we need to pray about our ministries. We need to pray about the people that God has has given us and, and allowed us to lead and serve. But but more than that, we need to pray for relationship with him. Mm. I circled so many things that I wrote down. Um, I love how you said Bible read or prayer and Bible reading are my life's anchor. And he has single-handedly held my life together. Like that's my testimony. Yes. That yes. is, the, that's my source. I know that you yes. could say the same thing like that. He yes. has been, and brothers of Holy said it in his interview, you know, just the, the lyrics of the goodness of God. I've known him as a father. I've known him as a friend. And I yes. can say that yes. he has been the dearest and best friend to me. When you talk about the patience of God, my word has God been patient with me, undeserved patience in my life. And 
it is such yeah. an incredible privilege to be able just to know him, to sit with him, to walk with him. And ministry flows out of that. And the greater the connection, yes. you know, the more he can do eternal things out of out of yes. our lives. Maybe not even things that we can that will register on the radar in time, but things that will register right. on the radar in eternity and register in heaven. Um, so thank you so much. Um I love how you said my devotion can never be solely for my ministry. And we do, we can't get the cart before the horse. Ministry is secondary devotion yes. and relationship with Jesus is first. And I think so often of how Jesus said to those who were at his throne, depart from me, I never knew you. And they say, well, we did this and we did that. They did right. ministry stuff, but they didn't know him. And at the end of the day, this whole thing is about me being right with him, me knowing him, me walking in relationship yes. with him. And what an incredible privilege. That's good. Is there anything in closing that we haven't covered that you'd like to say that you feel like would be important or helpful for someone who might hear this? Yeah, I would just say, you know, obviously I'm speaking as a youth pastor and I, uh, I love the next generation, mm. um, generation Z and whatever the next generation is called. I, I, I don't know what they're called yet. <laughs> um, whoever they are. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what, what are they, whatever they're called. Um, uh, generation Z, I have a deep love for them and I'm very grateful that God has given me the opportunity to have a voice in some of their life and I think there's some amazing, amazing things about them. First of all, I think this next generation has an incredible passion and hunger for God. Just mm -hmm. last night, I spoke to our youth about our annual vision, and it was a very practical message, very practical. It wasn't a hype sensationalism message necessarily, but the the youth group responded in such a way that there was about a 45-minute altar call after wow. that because they're hungry for the presence of god they're hungry to go deeper with god and and to respond to his purpose so i want to say to generation z i'm so thankful for your hunger for god for your passion for god and i also want to say that there is something that we need to make sure we get right and that is that we have to teach we have to teach our students that let me just say we have starving students because sensation or emotionalism can be a great motivator, but devotion is what can sustain you. Mm -hmm. And I think we are very good at creating conference-like environments in our youth services, in our churches, and in conferences and conventions. And I'm thankful for breakthrough moments and mm -hmm. deep yes. moves of God and tears at altar calls. And 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 I we need that. Don't get me wrong. We need that. But those moments are what can motivate you. But your devotion is what can sustain you. Yes. And if there was one thing I could tell the next generation is don't be high on sensation and low on devotion. We mm -hmm. have to teach our students that that conference environments are not sufficient to live for God. Yes. Uh, I heard one, there was a quote from somebody, I don't remember his name, but he said, short-term sensationalism leads to long-term skepticism. And I'm thankful for the breakthrough moments, but I think we need more follow-through moments. I'm thankful for the breakthrough environments, but we need to equip ourselves. And that's why I'm so thankful for this podcast and 
Meg's book and this Bible study that I've written, not because it benefits me or us, but because this is teaching people not just for the breakthrough, but for the follow through, how to walk with him and how to live for him and and be sustained by the bread of life, right? Jesus, of course, said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We need the word to sustain us. We need prayer lives to sustain us. So if there's one thing I would challenge this next generation, I love your hunger. I love your excitement. I love your worship. But let's be as high on devotion as we are on the excitement and the hype in our worship. That's so good. And it truly is devotion that will sustain us. It's just like in the Old Testament, they had to get the manna every day. And the scripture you just quoted, man shall not live by bread alone. And we have got to teach ourselves and teach others to develop hunger for the word of God and to daily eat, because that is what's going to sustain us through every season. Um, Thank you so much, Reagan, for being on the podcast today. I love your heart. I love your passion for this next generation. I love your love for the word of God and helping others connect with it. And so thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. It was a privilege to be on. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I will say go check out Reagan's new Bible study. It's real life. It's available on Amazon. You can just search that up and you can also follow him on Instagram. It's at real life Bible study, Um, bright green and yellow. You can't miss it. So thank (laughs) you again. And to everyone listening, thank you for being here today. Thank you again so much for joining me for this journey. I look forward to meeting up with you again next Friday. If you have questions, you can visit MegUnedited.com. For now, go grab your journal and your Bible. I so look forward to the power of this habit in your life. This is Unedited. This is for you. Happy Friday.